You Can't Eat the Horns. I'm your host, Jordan Risky of the Nimrods Podcast, brought to you by Risky Outdoors. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the iTunes podcast. We'd appreciate it. Leave us a good little rating. Uh, any comments, we want to hear from you guys. On this episode, we have good buddy John Shibley on here talking about two Michigan bucks that he's had a chance to harvest. And without further ado, we're going to jump right into this and get John on the phone. All right, we got my buddy John uh, on the phone. Uh, he's a no question one of the reasons why I'm into hunting the way I am. Uh, one of my college roommates, fortunate enough to have his parents as career multi-generational farmers with some really good ground uh, here in South Central Michigan. Um, he's been fortunate enough to shoot a couple really nice ones. I uh, learned a lot from him. He's got some pretty cool mentors and, and definitely some cool stories and uh, John, we're pumped to have you on and, and love to hear maybe a little bit more about what got you into hunting and, and uh, we'll get into the some of the big box stories too. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, so John, go ahead and kind of just give us a little intro to you, how you got started into to deer hunting and yeah, just a little bit about you. Yeah, so uh, as Jake said, I was blessed to be born into... Uh, a family farm business. Um, my dad is, is still a full-time farmer uh, in Washtenaw County. Uh, he farms with his uncle. Um, they, you know, they, the farm was passed down to them from their dad, you know, my grandpa, uh, who was passed down from them, you know, from his grandpa. Uh, and it really dates back all the way back to uh, our ancestors who came across the seas from Germany to farm in the United States. Um, and so was blessed to be born into that um, and have, you know, the, the opportunity to hunt agriculture and um, land around the agriculture. Um, and so that's really what, what got me started into hunting was, was my dad. Um, he's not an avid hunter, but as a farmer, um, you know, he's got the opportunity to do it. So he's been hunting a long time. Um, so I've got some really great memories with my dad out in the blind. Um, so he got me started, uh, with, with gun hunting, uh, for sure. Um, just some really, I, I remember one of the vivid memories I have with my dad is being in a straw blind bale out in the middle of a like a grass field um, and just freezing my butt off um, and my dad my dad always hunts with muzzle loaders and uh, sure enough a doe had had walked all the way up to us and I remember my I was like probably seven or eight years old my dad asked me hey should I shoot this doe and I was like uh sure I don't know <laughs> Uh, and I just remember like the smell of the gunpowder and the smoke that just mm. fills the area mm. after a, a after a muzzleloader shot, and uh, just you know the loud ringing of my ears. Um, probably like an old old hexagon barrel muzzleloader, probably too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. I can't remember what it looked like, but he still hunts with muzzleloaders today, but just the newer the yeah. newer versions, right? But, yeah, the inlines, right? The yeah nice yeah. or whatever I, yeah he, he uses nights yeah that's what i started out with like my dad got me into hunting it was with a a hexagon barrel bald it literally shot a ball 
muzzleloader. Really? Yeah. It felt like oh. Davy Crack. Oh, dude, and they they had like forty some inch barrels. They were crazy, but that's yeah, what we long rifle. Kentucky long yeah, rifle. Yeah, that's what man. we grew up hunting with. Sweet. Uh, so inaccurate. So speaking <laughs> of muzzleloaders, gun hunting, right, John? Tell tell us about the first the first big guy on the wall. Yeah, so um, the very first deer that I shot ever, um, I think I was like 13 or 14 years old. Um, and where we where we hunt, my dad's property um, butts up to you know some neighbors who also hunt, and uh, we've we've got a pretty good uh, relationship with those neighbors, uh, where we've kind of formed like an informal like hunting. not agreement but just like a a hunting group that uh, we actually share a butcher shop and everything on 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 top of the hill where we hunt but anyways we were the group of us the neighbors my dad and I it was it was the end of muzzleloader season Um, and so we had determined or decided we were going to do a drive of our swamp Um, it's not the first time we've done that we you know back then when I was Gosh, that was what, 15 years ago. Um, we used to do that on a pretty regular basis towards the end of season is do a drive of our of our swamp. And so as a 14-year-old, they, they put me on an edge of the field, an edge, edge of a field across, across the field from the swamp. And so across the field is probably, I don't know, 150 yards across. And then we had another guy kind of kitty corner to me on that other side as well and uh sure enough this monster comes trotting out of the swamp that they were driving and he wasn't on a full sprint uh, but he was he was trotting pretty good uh, and i had a muzzle loader and um i had to wait until he cleared uh the, the other hunter that was across from me and then I had to wait again for a, there was a house, you know, kind of way off in the distance, but I had to wait for the house to clear as well. But after both of those things cleared, you know, I raised up and led him probably six feet in front and just <laughs> let her rip. So he was, uh, he was moving that. still. What's that? He was still moving. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was, he was trotting pretty good. Like I said, he wasn't on a he wasn't on a sprint, and he wasn't walking. He was he was trotting. Mm-hmm. He knew, you know, he was getting pushed for sure. Um, so I shot, and then uh, shortly after I shot the uh, the other hunter across the field, uh, shot as well. Um, and then so after I shot, you know, I'm trying to reload my muzzle loader. <laughs> And my, my right hand is just shaking uncontrollably. I can't, I can't get a little powder pellets even in the barrel. Uh, and as I'm trying to reload, like 20 doe, does come out of the swamp, and they're like right in front of me. And I'm just shaking, trying to reload. Um, back then, we used to hunt with these two-way radios, too. We all had two, two-way radios. Oh, yeah. And, Remember those uh, Motorola things? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, after we shot... The, some of the guys from the woods that were driving, you know, said something. Oh, hey, what are you shooting at? What's going on out there? The hunter across the field from me said something like, "Well, that was a wall hanger." 
and I said amen to that or something to that effect. And um, I, I didn't think, you know, looking back now, you know, driving and shooting at a running deer like that, like it's not probably the most ethical way to hunt. Uh, but, you know, as a 14-year-old, and, you know, after I shot, I didn't, I didn't think there was a chance I hit him. Um, I, I was, I, you know, after the drivers came out of the woods, I was just going to walk up to them and be like, yeah, you know, this big deer walked by, we both shot, but uh, I don't think we hit him. And, you know, that kind of thing. And I meet up with them, you know, in the, in the field and the hunter across from me said, after I shot that deer changed direction. And that's when we thought, Oh, Whoa, we may have something here. And then shortly after that, one of the drivers uh, that came out of the woods um, said, I've got blood. And so then at that point, you know, my heart started beating a little faster and I was, uh, I was getting pretty excited. And, and that deer ended up crossing the ditch that I was on and, and dropping like 20. So he ran maybe 50 yards after I shot. And it ended up being a perfect double lung, like, you couldn't have drawn up a better shot. Uh, and we knew that it was me that hit him and not the guy across the field just because of the change of direction and the tracks that we, you know, we saw mm-hmm. or whatever. But, so just an insanely lucky 14 year old, they got, you know, put on the edge of a edge of a field and had, had his buddies and or his dad's buddies and his dad driving, pushing deer towards me. Oh. Yeah, so go ahead. That that guy that was always that was the big buck on your on the wall at your parents' house, right? The one we used to always, you know, when we'd come back from school to hunt, we'd always kind of stare at that guy and kind of drool, thinking maybe there's a chance, <laughs> right? Same swamp you shot him running out of, you know, we're we're surrounding him and, and hunting it pretty hard. Tell tell us about John. Tell, just kind of explain the property, right? Like how much, how big. I can't remember. We asked your dad a while back, but how big is the big, big field right next to the swamp? And then, like, obviously the the sniper hut and all that goes into the east side and stuff like that, too. Yeah. Um, and before I get to the property a little bit, that that deer that's in that, and I left it, you know, we got it mounted, and I left it at the farm after I moved out just because it meant more to me um, to have it, you know, at my dad's house at the farm yeah, because cool. it wasn't just something that I did, you know, it was something that, you know, it's just, a something I wanted my dad to be able to have a, a part of, but that, that deer was the biggest deer I've shot, you know, in all of my now, whatever it is, 20 years, 15, 20 years of hunting now, mm-hmm. biggest deer I've ever shot. And so it's all been kind of downhill or uphill or however, however you want to look at it from there, but. Um, but yeah, so the property, um, it's a really good mix, um, of, of agriculture, you know, farm fields, um, with surrounding timber, timber, you know, a couple different pockets of, of timber with some swampy, thick areas, plus some grassy, uh, sections as well. Um, and then it's across the street from a, a private area that, you know, is, um, that hunting is not allowed. Um, and so acreage wise, I, I 
think it's roughly 150 to 200 acres, um, maybe inching closer to, to 250 to 300. I'd have to look up the parcel map again, but um, it's about that size, half of it being farm field, half of it being timber and swampy area. And then it also neighbors up to probably another 100 acres of timber and thick stuff that's not ours, but um, but is also hunted by neighbors who um, who do a pretty good job. We don't have like a, a point restriction, you know, uh, agreement or anything, nothing formal. But we all we all have hunted long enough where we're not shooting year and a half, you know, deer. Yeah, um, we're waiting. We're waiting until they get a little bit bigger. But uh, not that we're solely like shooting two and a half or three and a half and older. Um, but you know, we we tend to be a little bit more patient uh, with our deer. But that's awesome. So, I have a, what? How big was that buck that you scored? Real quick, just I want to bounce back to that before I have another couple questions for you. Yeah, I think. We, that was the only one that I've gotten officially scored, and I'm pretty sure it was 147 inches um, it's gross. It's take, dude. It's huge. He grossed at 147. Yeah. That's a, that's yeah. A, that's real a, thick mass. I think it was 15 inches wide, 10 point, but just real thick mass all throughout the beans, the tines. Um, that's a good deer. Pretty symmetrical and just a beautiful, just a beautiful deer. So, so on your guys' property, you said so about half is ag- agriculture, half is timber and, and kind of like swampy wetlands. So are you, are you hunting field edges mostly, or are you getting back into that timber when you're hunting? For the most part, we hunt the edges. Um, because it's such a small, a small, not such a small property, but, you know, relatively speaking, it's, it's somewhat small. And so our philosophy and strategy is, is let them be, you know, don't, don't even walk in the thick stuff and get back into where they're living, you know, stay on the edges and wait for them to make a mistake kind of thing. Okay. So that's all, that's always been our philosophy. And so all of our tree stands and hunt and, and gun hunting lines are on almost field, you know, almost right on the field edges. Um, we may have one tree stand that's a little bit further back into the timber, but it's not, not into the thick bedding areas where they're living. Gotcha. So like, how does your, how does everything set up? Like, is your swamp surrounded by croplands or is that swamp like on the south side of your guys' property? Like, do you have access to get in there without bumping deer? Yeah, it's, it's a little tricky. Um, the swamp is, is surrounded by ag, um, and we have access from the west, the south, and the east. Uh, we don't really have access from the north, just because it's neighbor, you know, neighbors up to another property there, and it's just not good access from the north side. But uh, we've got good access from all the other sides. Uh, it's just a, it's it's more of a decision not to not to access it more than you know being unable to. 
Gotcha. You're you're way more patient than I am. Jake's hunted with me enough, but I'm just like, I'm a bull on a Get china in there. bull on a china <laughs> shop, man. You're not gonna kill him unless you're you're just setting up above his bed. It's a you know it's a really 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 awesome property. I, I like I've been fortunate enough to share. John's let you know his parents have let me come out and and uh, get involved out there, but we. You know, you guys, it, ama- it always amazes me. And, of course, you have all that time and that family history on the property. But, like, your dad, it felt like, you know, in the mornings we'd get out there with a cup of coffee or something. He'd stick his finger up in the air and lick his finger and say, yep, here's where we're going. You know, it's like you guys knew exactly. You'd play the wind as much as you could. And, um, you know, back when I first, you know, we were, John and I were college roommates for three years. But when I first started, man, I had, like, you know, we talk about gear. I had, like you know army army surplus woodland camo you know and i think i had a shotgun um john i think you know correct me if i'm wrong but i think you were in like garage sale camo i mean we were like we were piecing it together um and we were seeing bucks and deer every single time we went out it was just dynamite especially when the when the ag fields got picked off like when the corn and the beans came down like there's really only one really awesome spot and you guys never, never disturbed them in there unless, you know, an idiot like me shot twice at, you know, (laughs) something and we had to go in there, but, um, you had to have a reason to go in. I think that's why they hunkered down in there. For sure. John, do you guys have like a lot of success? So growing up, I, we had kind of the same situation. I have a family farm and it's, 90% 90% of it is ag. We have a, a few ponds and swamps, and Jake hunted it this past year. And I mean, it's, it's a tough property to hunt. And the only time that I ever had success hunting on that, that type of ground, and very similar to you, it butted up to like a, a, a really good sized swamp, but we didn't have access to that swamp. So the only time I really had success is that day or second day after crops were picked. Have you guys seen like that same same thing on your ground, or are they still coming out into those crop fields well after? Yeah, they. You know the for sure the does and the small bucks. And you know, I'm just trying to think through the history of my hunting. I would say, yeah, no, we've had we've had good success well after the crops have come off, um, particularly in one field, and I think that's probably why is that right right off of the swamp, right off the thick stuff, there's a smaller, uh, I'm going to say it's probably 15 acres, maybe, maybe even smaller than that. A real, a real small field. It's, uh, it's a hundred yards long by 80 yards wide. And so we could probably do the math and figure out the exact acreage there, but it's a pretty small field right off of that swamp and so I, I think they use they feel protected and they use that as kind of their first area um and so i i think that's why we call it the sniper field we've got a, a snipe we call it the sniper hut is our blind that's on to our success uh, i think it's because of that small safe uh first food source for them right off their bedding area gotcha yeah, it's, but beyond yeah. that, in the in the bigger ag fields, we, we we haven't had much success on those fields. I would say. Gotcha. Now, do you are you specifically picking like your different your hunting locations based on crop rotations? Like, 
I know, like I did, I did that a lot. Like if if it was beans, obviously I was sitting on those early, early season. And then corn, we are left up a lot longer than our beans. So then I would hunt edges of cornfields growing up. But are you, are you picking certain locations based on crop rotations? Um, I, I'd say I don't have as much flexibility there. Um, out of the West, I really only have like a couple options to, you know, to sit, particularly if I'm bow hunting, I really only have a couple options. And if it's blowing out of the, out of the North, I really only have one, one good option. Um, and so it's less about what crops are in the field. Just can sit and hunt the wind and know that I'm, my sense is just not blowing right into, you know, where they're coming from. So, gotcha. So leading into that whole scent question, so I have a, a different philosophy. What is, what is your scent control process? Do you have anything? Do you believe in it? What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, certainly, certainly believe in it. Um, it took me a long time to, to, to have the funds to be able to, to do it. Um, but, uh, probably the last, I'd say 10 years of bow hunting, I've been using scent lock, carbon fiber, you know, clothing, and, um, you know, have a pretty good ritual of, you know, washing all my hunting gear and scent free wash. And, um, you know, went to the whole, the, the scent free body wash and shampoo and deodorant and toothpaste and all of that stuff. <laughs> and so, and I, and I learned all that from, you know, the guy that really got me into bow hunting, uh, he was avid about scent, um, just nuts about it. And I'm only doing like a quarter of what he's doing with his scent stuff. Did John, didn't he tell us one time that first off, this guy's like a, a Michigan, absolute Michigan legend. His entire basement's covered in 140 plus inch deer. They're monsters. And John brought me over there one time. And I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, John, didn't he tell us that he doesn't eat any red meat during, like, bow season because he's, cause he's concerned about the pheromones his body's giving off and he thinks there's something there, too? Like, yep, yep. But he changed his diet. Yeah. It's, yeah, man. But he's putting those guys on the wall, right? Like, I oh, have every, It's like clockwork every year for him. Unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable. That's wild because, like... I, I'm Jake and I are a little different on scent control. We'll be, we saw, I said this on our last podcast. We'll be driving out to our property. I'm in all my hunting gear, sitting eat, in the truck, sit, eating a Big Mac or an egg McMuffin or something. <laughs> my stuff's in totes in the back, you know. John, like how we, you kind of taught me, and <laughs> I don't know how he does it, man. He still sees the deer. <laughs> my 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 whole philosophy is you will never be a mature buck's nose. You just can't. I I. I truly believe that so i'm always set trying to set up in the winds in in my favor to a point where i'm going to catch a deer coming down a certain trail and i'm going to try to shoot him on that trail if he comes in the other way i might get busted and that's the game i play but and i mean that's probably why i don't kill very many big deer but i I just I I don't i don't buy into the whole scent control thing and i mean i use nose jammer because 
things like that. If it can buy me an extra two seconds, then yeah, I'm, I'm willing to give it a try. And I've seen that work, not on any mature bucks, but big mature does follow like my, my footsteps to the tree and things like that. And like, I'm not, I'm not pushing that or anything, but I do believe there is some sense there, but my opinion, you can't be a big, a mature deer's nose, a buck. I, I just don't think you could do it. For, I agree with you. Yeah. And the point I, where I try to convince you is, um, cause I, I, I agree that you, you're rarely going to beat a mature buck's nose, but in the, in my case, um, the biggest buck that I've shot with a bow, he was bedded, at least I think he was bedded, maybe 50 yards um, from me, and he crossed my, he crossed me downwind. And, well, I, I guess I should take that back. I shot him directly downwind. And so he probably got into my scent just as I was, you know, shooting. And so I think if I had not done my scent control ritual, he may have picked me up a little bit sooner, like you just said, like two seconds. Like Mm -hmm. that two seconds may have been the difference for me harvesting that buck and not. Like I'll never know. But at least I knew in my... Uh, I did everything I could do to control what I could control, right? And yeah. that's eliminating that scent. Now, whether whether or not that's why I was able to harvest him, not really sure. But, um, and that's that's what Bobby, the the guy that I was talking about earlier, that's what he would tell you too. Is like if you're if you're in it, like control everything you can control, and that's one thing you at least have some control over is is the scent that you're giving off. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I mean, I still have like a scent, like, uh, like a process, I guess. Like I'm like nose jammer lotion or any even like a scent free lotion because dry skin, I think, is like the biggest thing that they pick up on and your skin like falling off and things like that. So saying like, well, moisturize as weird as that is. I think that is a huge factor in why people are getting getting busted because guys how how many guys you know are putting lotion on before they go out and deer hunt? Not yeah, that's the first time I've heard it, man. I, I would you've been holding that sneaker close to your vest. I, not I good night. I gotta get some lotion or something. <laughs> Jake's yeah, Jake's you buying, geez, man. What are you using? <laughs> Jake's turned me on to the the old scent free toothpaste. I saw that he left it in my truck for like three weeks. That's because it's the only time I use it, man. It's like eight bucks a tube, and the only time I use it's right before we go in the woods. Here's my thing: I, I don't talk when I'm out there, so that's a good point. I do open my mouth from time to time. <laughs> yeah, I do breathe. Yeah, when I'm out I do. There. great point. Great point, John. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, I guess I'll I'll somewhat buy into that, John. I think we need to hear listeners need to hear this the story of the big guy. Um, and you, you know what I'm talking about, the one you're talking about right now, the story of the big guy yeah. coming in. Share yeah. that one with us real quick. Yeah. Um, it was uh, early season, October. Uh, I think it was only like mid-October yet. Um, and I was set up on the edge of a cornfield, um, right on the edge of a cornfield, probably 10 yards from the edge, just inside the timber. Um and like I said, the wind, I was on the southwest corner of, of the woods uh, off the swamp. 
and the wind was coming out of the out of the northwest. And uh, we had seen the neighbors had said there was a 140 inch you know deer that was um, moving during the day, uh, and so uh, that's kind of why I wanted to get out there as much as I could uh, early season. But um, it was after an afternoon hunt. You know, I went through all my scent ritual stuff, whatever, and got in the stand. You know, pretty good sneaking. Uh, didn't make a lot of noise getting in, and uh, I know f- from that stand there's a bedding area, you know, probably seven, 50 to 70 yards away underneath some pines um, where they like to bed. Pretty sure he was bedded in there um, because it was probably 4 o'clock, maybe even earlier than that, um, that he, that I saw him, uh, exit the timber and and go into the cornfield and he started just working his way towards me right on the edge of the corn and uh, I should I should back up and tell you that when when we put up this stand I actually put it up with a um, really good hunting buddy um, that you, you guys will probably have on this podcast at some point or time but uh, he helped me set it up and uh, there was one branch that was kind of in the shooting lane um, towards that cornfield that I told myself, all right, before hunting season, I got to cut that branch down. (laughs) (laughs) I never did. And so I'm up there and this, and this buck is working its way down the edge of the cornfield. And he's going to, he's going to come right into that shooting lane where that, um, where that branch is. And the problem was I was, facing where I'm sitting I had my um, stand set up to actually shoot at a uh, at a lane in the woods I wasn't really set up well to shoot towards the field and so I had to turn you know aggressively almost falling out of my chair to get my shoulders square to be able to even shoot to the field and I couldn't stand because of that branch and so I and honestly, because of that branch, I only had a shooting window that was probably a foot wide. And that branch was maybe um, probably eight, ten yards from me. So it was probably halfway between me and where this deer was was walking. And like I said, I only had like a foot window um, to even get it through that branch. It was coming off like a V. And luckily, that deer was walking, you know, almost in perfect alignment with that shooting, uh, hole, I'll call it. And I didn't have, I I couldn't stop him. There was no like ability to try to stop him in that hole. I just had to kind of time it up, uh, and shoot through that hole when he, you know, made his first step. Um, and that's what, I mean, that's what happened. It just, he perfectly walked. He didn't, he didn't smell me, didn't see me. You know, he was just on a slow walk down the edge. And I let it go right when he got to that shooting hole. And, uh, you know, I saw I saw it hit him. Uh, I thought initially it may have hit him a little bit back. Um, but he ran uh, into the next field over, into a bean field. And uh, I know he did like a circle. And then I thought I heard some crashing. Um but I couldn't 
quite tell. And um, so I just let him sit probably for a half an hour before I did anything. And then I got down and I was trying to glass, you know, with binoculars to see if I could see him in the, in the bean field where I thought maybe he had crashed and I couldn't see him. Um, I didn't even want to walk to where I shot him, where, you know, where the arrow might be just because it was, it was pretty, you know, it's towards where I thought maybe he had, he had either bed down or crashed. And so I just, I had to take a big loop, um, kind of backwards out of my way to get out of there without trying to disturb him. And so I did that and came back, you know, two, I think two or three hours later with my dad and my brother and sure enough, perfect shot. Um, arrow was, was right there where I hit him lots of blood and he had crashed in that bean field. Hmm. Um, so it worked out really good. I, I didn't have him officially scored, um, but he was a, a, a a, a nice 10 point. I think he was probably three and a half years old. Nice 10 point. He kind of had the claw, uh, the claw, uh, antlers at the very end to make him that 10 point. Um, but unofficially my buddy, uh, and I scored him and we think he's about 140 inches, uh, maybe 142, I think is what we officially said, but I would say about 140 inches. So were you, John, were you doing any kind of mock scrapes or anything? I remember, I remember Bobby kind of, pulling us into that you obviously pass that on to me a little bit but um were you doing anything to try to pull him out on those field edges there yeah you know we did have a mock scrape there um on that on the edge of that field um i don't know if he was coming to check it out or if he was just coming to eat i don't know what not sure but um but yeah we i do quite a bit of mock scrapes it's hard to maintain them because I just can't get out to the hunting property as often as I want to keep them maintained. But, but when I can, I usually, you know, do a mock scrape and I've got some scent that I put in it. Right. Um, And so, yeah, there was a mock scrape there. Um, I'm sure it helped. (laughs) Right. But it's hard to tell. Do you, do you guys run, do you run any trail cameras? Yeah, we've, we've started to, um, been running them probably five years now uh, we've only got two uh, that we're running on you know these the 200 acres that we're hunting and don't we don't check them very very often what I like to do is just put them up you know in late July you know sometimes even later than that uh, and just let them run uh, and and try to check them only when I'm entering in to hunt. Um, and if, and, and only if I'm hunting in that area where it's like to go grab a, a, a card, um, you know, I try to try to limit the number of times we're walking in and out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. but yeah, we've been, we've been running and it's again, because of the layout of where we're at, I don't, I don't have a ton of flexibility to be like, Oh, okay. They're they're coming over here they're they're using this trail more or whatever uh so let's get up and move um it's it's more just to see the inventory of what's in the swamp and you know maybe what we want to try to target but um what i found is with running only one or two cameras uh the way we do it doesn't really give me a good a good enough inventory to like 
create like a target list you know you hear these guys creating these target lists of their you know their hit list box and um that buck that i shot you know that biggest one i've I've never had him on camera you know in the swamp um and so it's it's just it hasn't like it's fun i love doing it i love looking through picks and seeing what's out there but uh to this point i don't think it's been that useful of a tool for me just in my layout and yeah so we're, we're running i can't uh, seven eight cameras on my 116 acres or whatever it is and to to your point sometimes i think it's uh it hurts you because you want to check those cameras this year we were a little more aggressive just because we were trying to learn our property but um i i think we're very aggressive in going in and checking these and then i jake and i've hunted out there several times and we've seen bucks that we don't even have on camera and we're going in there and trying to check these cameras thinking that we're going to catch these deer and like to your point it's fun looking at them like and trying to build an inventory of what you have but in the end if you if you have thick swamp swamp ground i i think you're you have bucks on your property that you may never see yeah, and I think they surprise us, right? Like they one thing I've learned too, and I think John, your dad's talked me through this a little bit too, but they, they move a lot, right? Like as much as that sanctuary might be, you start knocking you start taking crap off the fields and stuff, and even like across the county almost. Deer it changes their movement a little bit and they're gonna find those pockets, they're gonna move between how the landscape best suits their activities at the time and that's for the most part, when we're bow hunting and stuff, right, it's the does trying to find good food and good cover, and the bucks are chasing them down. And that, the really the game changes when when the when the environment changes. And we might get pictures of bucks. I mean, Jordan, this year, right, like a couple bucks we'd never see on the hoof. We could have sworn we we're gonna hunt them, but we never see them. And then we see other bucks we've never even known were there, right? And um, I just think they're moving so much more and covering so much more ground a lot of the time than what we're what we're kind of used to is what we think about when we put those cameras out, you know? It's like that. So Jake and I filmed a pretty spectacular deer on our family farm this year. And I don't, I don't, I'm not back in that Jackson County area. So, and nobody bow hunts at our, that property. And so I was like, Jake, go ahead, get out there and try to kill him. And Jake hunted him pretty hard first like two weeks of the season oh yeah and he ended up getting killed over a mile away from where we saw him yeah and i to me it's like man i and i told jake this i said you got to kill him in your first two weeks because i know that those deer on those big ag fields they're there when ag is good and then once it starts to turn depending on what it is i think they they move out of that area and then they get into that okay rut start and then they're going to start seeking does and and they go where those i think the most dense doe populations are and that's where they're going to be yeah you know i really noticed it um this past season when we were when we had two cameras that were set up for the most you know from july through october and it was almost like october 1 is when like the movement stopped like we had you know, a ton of nice bucks on camera up through October one. And then like, it was October one and they were gone. Like we didn't have pictures on from, from then on out. It was crazy. And I think, I think a lot of that had to do with the change in the agriculture and just the ripening of the beans. And when, 
you know, when they want to be on the beans versus, you know, when they want to change their food source or start, you know, start getting ready for, for the rut. But uh, it's crazy how, how quickly, how quickly it just changes on a dime. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I got a couple, couple rapid fire, like gear question type things for you. So are you a fixed blade guy or are you a, a mechanical I've always used fixed. I've never tried. To be honest, my gear has is. <laughs> I am a poor man's hunter. Um, the gear that I use is the gear that I've been given, and I'm and I'm not even kidding. Um, I mentioned his name earlier, so I'll say it again. Bobby, uh, the guy that really got me into bow hunting, uh, gave me his old bow. It was an old brown. Old school bull. I, I don't know how old it was, but I used that for years. Uh, and then the next bow that I got was Jake's hand-me-down, uh, which Jake got. Um, but uh, I've always used, you know, the fixed blade. Uh, never tried the mechanical, uh, and really never even looked into like, you know, is mechanical the you know the rage that they talk about the open. You know, I, I've never even really looked into it. Uh, just always been a fixed blade guy and and really it just goes back to Bobby telling me he likes the fixed blade and when somebody like him who's got all these deer hanging in his basement says he likes the fixed blade it's like okay (laughs) I'll use fixed blade yep I'm a big I I used to shoot rages and then I shot a deer with a rage and it didn't open didn't deploy and it hit like a shoulder and it was just done and I switched to a fixed blade and they're yeah, I'll never go back. That's the that's the buck I, I mean that's the buck I missed at the at your at the farm, John was you know, I had I got coaxed into it by a, a buddy and these fancy mechanical blades and stuff and granted, you know, we, we don't know all the factors, right? I was wetting my pants, you know, true Nimrod style. Uh couldn't believe I was seeing this deer in front of me and he came right to me, you know, and he was quartering too and I let it rip and he jumped up gave me a death kick and i thought we were in good shape and um i don't we looked and looked we backed out we did everything right never found them and man that i that was enough for me I, i'm gonna like you you said something that you know my dad the little nugget my dad always dropped on me pretty much life life principle stuff but just control the controllables right and to me that's one of those like i really can't control that to some fact you know to some extent how well that mechanical is going to operate when it hits something that I didn't plan on hitting. And to be honest with you, I really can't contain my heart rate and how much I'm going to, you know, turn into a chatter. Like I'm just going to turn into the shivering mess when the big one comes in front of me. But, um, you know, the fixed blade, it just feels like something else we can control a little bit more. You know, there's not, it doesn't need some mechanical action to take place in order to properly, operate or get through the animal and, and do the damage it needs to do to take them down and um i'm back jordan has me back the mechanical um fix back sorry fix. back to fix yep definitely not mechanical anymore so uh we'll see what happens but yeah yeah it's just one more thing that can go there's so many things that can go wrong you know in the process of trying to shoot a deer with a bow and an arrow mm-hmm. that like just eliminate the complication and it's just one more thing that can go wrong with it it's like why is it really worth it so all right the next question if you had to pick one day to hunt out of the year which day would it be 
love Halloween, you know, October 31st. If I'm bow hunting, it'd be October 31st. Um, just over my 10 to 15 years of bow hunting, that's where I've seen the most big deer. Uh, and there's just something magical about that switch from October to November. Um, that would be the date uh, if, if it was bow hunting. If it was gone, it's November 15th, but uh, it's bow hunting. <laughs> The, the good religion, old man. Michigan religion. Yep, opening day. You better be in the woods because they're going to be here running everywhere because they're all dying. Yeah, this this past season was the first opening day I've missed in 15, 15 years. Uh, I, had, I had to be at work and just a tradition with my dad and my brother and other buddies like Jake and uh, other buddies that have hunted with me on opening day. And there's just there's something about that camaraderie and like waking up, getting breakfast before you go out. And it's like, ah, there's something about it. So. Gotcha. So next question, it's more, a little more controversial. So how do you feel about crossbows? Mm. <laughs> that, that is literally the response. <laughs> that everyone. Right there. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I mean, I got to be careful what I say, because if, if I'm truly honest, I've been really tempted to get a crossbow <laughs> but the competitive competitiveness in me like the the guy that treats bow hunting as a sport you know it's like uh man is it really a sport when you get when you get to a crossbow um that's tough you know i think i think the crossbow has a lot of good uses for those that you know are unable to either physically um, you know, bow hunt with a compound bow, yeah, or even even a recurve, uh, or those that just don't have the time, the necessary time to put in the effort to you know um, perfect their their craft and be able to ethically hunt with a compound. Like, I think there's uses there. Uh, it certainly opens the door for a lot more people to, to bow hunt much more easily. And so there's, I don't know, there's data or statistics on it, like how many more people are hunting in October now than, than, than there were before. But I would assume it's a lot more. Yeah. That's, it's interesting because like I have, I have, I'm torn like big time on this subject, especially when Michigan did it. I, when I was younger, I was like, man, this is stupid. And that was my initial thought. But then, there's that part of me, it's like, I like it because there are more people hunting now, and that's that's great because it is something that, it's on a decline in Michigan, like we're less and less hunters every year, but that we were at our peak when we had the baby, baby boomers, and now they're teetering off, they're not hunting as much, and frankly, they're dying, <laughs> and you're going to get that less hunters just because of that, but there's that part of me, it's like, man, I I find time to shoot my bow. I know I'm busy. I'm busy all the time. My wife is super busy. She still finds time to shoot her bow. It's it's just like prioritizing. But then Cassandra has a good point on it. She's like, and like you're making, you know, is it's more ethical for somebody to pick up a crossbow when they don't have any time to shoot their regular bow. So there's that part of me. It's like, man, that that's you know good for them. I think I think what really you know, us as maybe the compound or uh, more traditional bow, bow, upright bows guys or 
really kind of torn about it is is there's this there's you know John something you and I've talked about before if you were to walk into John's basement you'd see three nice really nice mounted bucks you know there's one that's bigger and probably the best looking buck out of the three and that's the one you shot as a kid with a gun you know like you, you the story you told but we've talked about this before I mean which one means the most you know and it it's not the biggest one it's the one that you know, you'd put in the time shooting your bow, perfecting your craft, and, and getting in the right spot, bow hunting, and, you know, all the stuff came together, and you're able to take the big one down. Um, it's it's just, there's, it means something more to us, I think, as, as bow hunters, and I think when we see these compound bows now shooting 100 yards, to me, it's like, the reason I'm a bit apprehensive about it, or I'm maybe not going to jump into it, is because I just don't think it's it would mean as much to me, but that doesn't mean uh, that I did I have any sort of right to take that away or have a stance that takes that away from somebody else, right? To Jordan's point, the more folks we can get out there, uh, I think the better off we are as Michigan hunters. And I think when we talk through the specifics of it, um, even though it might feel like you're bringing a shotgun out during bow season, um, you know, a trophy is in the eye of the beholder, right? And if somebody goes out and hunts the way we do, but they get a shot at 80 yards and they make it happen, it's still something to be really proud of for them. I mean, I, I can't possibly take that away from them, right? But I know deep down inside what, what a true chance that a big buck uh, means to me. I haven't been able to make the most of it yet, but um, that's why I keep going out in the woods, you know? For sure. Yeah, and I'm totally with you. I think the one piece that, um, you know, still kind of like bugs me about it is like how it, how it's going to impact me and my property that I hunt now. And that's very selfish, right. Of me to think sure. that way. But, um, you know, I know my, some of the neighbors are used, starting to use crossbows. You know, my brother is even talking about using a crossbow and, and getting out even more. And that's, that is a really hard struggle because it's like, I want, like, I want him to hunt more. He doesn't, he doesn't have the same passion as I do for it. And I want, I want him to get out in the woods more, and because that's something that him and I can share and uh, bond over, or whatever. But at the same time, it's like I don't want him hunting out of my stands with a crossbow. Shooting <laughs> deer, but uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I to- totally with you. If I shot a a nice buck with a crossbow, it just, it just wouldn't it mean half as much as what you know the ones i've shot to date you know because of how hard it is to to harvest a deer with a compound bow so yeah it's 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 weird because it it's more than just a deer and like meanings meaning when you put like a meaning to it i don't know how i don't know where i'm going with this but like when you put a meaning to a deer in saying that something means more because of the way you harvested it to me that's it's I get it. Like I, I 100% agree, but at the same time I step back and I'm like, man, it's still a deer and it, it's a mature deer and you still had a chance to harvest it. It should get the same amount of respect as it would, even if it was harvested another way. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. There's so I think there's, you know, there's something in life there. There's like a truth underlying truth that we're, I think we're scratching at that like the more it takes the more hard work it takes to make something happen, I feel like the more it really means to us, you know? And I think when we talk about, like, 
you know, I, I've gone out, and I mean, John can talk about this. We spend a lot of time on the fishing boat in the summers together, but I can go out one time and use the same stupid lure and catch the biggest bass, you know, maybe that we pulled into the boat all summer, but, you know, I didn't change up my strategies. I didn't do all this extra stuff. I didn't try all these things. I'm not taking water temp, you know, measuring, the, you know, depth and all those different things. Same thing with bow hunting. You know, if, you, if you're putting in all the hard work and you're trying to take in all the variables and you put in the time, like, it's just something more and that means something more there, you know, and we put in the hard work and the effort. Uh, I think as people, it's just, there's something there that, that means more. And, and when you, t- it's not like we should go out there literally with a stick and try to kill something, right? Like not, not trying to make it too hard. Uh, obviously <laughs> that would be impossible for me. Um, but there's just something there, you know, I got, I got a question for both of you. So you guys both love the fish, right? Probably way more than I do. Right. Can we agree? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, probably, yeah. 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 For okay. Sure. So let me ask you I this. I you love the fish, but I, I love I I'm love not. <laughs> I, I could care less if I went during the year. I that's. Yep. So let me ask you this. If you caught a bass on your favorite lure, and it was a 15-pounder, and then you, you know, you love it, and the next day you go out and you catch a 16-pounder, but you snagged it, would you feel the same? Like, would you be like, oh, man, I still, it's a 16-pounder. Like, are you going to be just as proud as that? So that's what I'm saying. It's like shooting a whitetail with a crossbow and then shooting one with a a regular bow and then shooting it with a gun. Why are you more proud of the one with a bow than you are a gun? That's, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, it's tough. I I know. It's probably, we could probably go round and round and round on it. Um, There's just something something more pure i think manly about feeling like we we did something right to make it happen not got really fortunate or, or lucky you know um but you'll know. be just as proud you can't tell me yeah you be. i mean you're probably right that's that's probably tough but so why so why are we doing this with deer i mean i'm not saying i don't do it because i do yeah dude that you i know who it's, it's coming weird. from we both do it right i mean we all do it's just yeah. something about bow hunting man i don't know how can we get more people to experience that? That's a bit. That's the biggest question. Like, if that's the goal, then yeah. I mean, it, like, I have no problem with um, crossbows, right? Like, if the goal is to get more people to experience it and get more people in the woods, then that. I see your point, Jordan. Like, <laughs> especially for for those, like, for those that have not shot a deer with a with a compound bow their first deer with a crossbow is going to be the same feeling same experience that i had as shooting with a compound bow and if you back up the dates it's the same as the transition from recurve to compound like the people that shot their first block Mm -hmm. with a compound their experience and feeling was the same as those that shot their first buck with a recurve Mm -hmm. but once you've done it once you've done it with a compound it's really hard to get that same experience and feeling with now a crossbow but so i think it's just it's we're looking at it from different angles and different lengths right yeah i mean it's it's really that's phenomenal stuff i think we need to point out the fact that you know there's guys now that have getting to the point with compounds where they're like trying to find more of a challenge and have gone back to the to the longbows and the recurves and stuff. I mean, the guy sitting next to me right now has a target in his unfinished basement that he shoots 
his you know recurve at all night long just because it kind of gives him a taste in the middle of winter and something to do i guess but um you know we're looking for the challenge i think that's something we're always after right right we're for facing a challenge and overcoming it there's something special and great about it there's something even more beautiful and awesome about chasing an amazing animal uh you know it's in the prime of their 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 habitat and their environment stepping into it and finding a way to get it done and mature bucks in michigan they're I mean, they're close. I know we talked about how tough it is to hunt coyotes, and John and I could tell stories about that too. But um, gosh, mature Michigan whitetail has got to be one of the biggest thrills or toughest hunts in in the state. You know, so it doesn't matter how we get them; we just got to try to get them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're not we're not going to keep you much longer, John. But I got one. Uh, let's go. I got one. I'll ask you one more question. So, if you could, if you could tell your younger self as like a deer hunter, what one piece of advice would you give yourself? Oh, wow. <laughs> so we end, uh, we end all of our conversations with this question because I, I we love hearing, man, this is what changed my life as a deer hunter. Like, what is it? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, over the 15 years and probably the biggest thing that I've learned and this is really hard to do, but I've I've missed so many deer or missed opportunities at so many deer because of little stupid things um, in the tree stand. Whether it be my arrow falls off the knock because it hit a branch or because I didn't have a branch cut, right, <laughs> that I, I should have cut. Um and I, and I said it before is that there, there's so many things that can go wrong in a hunt that, you know, if I could go back and tell my, you know, myself at 14 years old, I would just say eliminate as much of the stuff that can go wrong as you can, you know, whether that's trimming your lanes, whether that's, you know, triple checking your gear, um, you know, I, I had one problem that, you know, when I, with, the, with this old bow that I was using, when I would pull back with um, the, the practice broadheads, right? Um, not, the, not, the, not the broadheads, but the practice, what, what do you call them? The practice, target, yeah. target. Target points, your practice points. Practice points, yeah. Field points. Back with the target, with the, yeah, with the field points, the target point. I had no problem, which, you know, I was shooting all, a bunch of shots with, with the target point. But then when I pulled back with broadhead on there, the broadhead was getting caught on, you know, my little, my little knock and it was knocking it off. And I didn't know that until I got into the field with the broadhead on. And like, so it's like little things like that, that, you know, have screwed me over, over the years. You know, I can talk about, muzzleloader hunting where I've used caps that were already shot because I didn't triple check my my cap but it's like just stupid things that I can I can control that I didn't because I either didn't put the time in to to double or triple check I wasn't like envisioning and looking at all the different things that could go wrong and there's so much stuff that can go wrong like you're not going to get you're not going to get all of it. Like you're going to get to a situation where something's going to screw you over that you didn't think about and that's hunting and you'll learn from it. But that that's, 
if I could point to one thing that I've missed deer on the most or that I've missed opportunities, that would be it. Gotcha. For sure. Control the controllables. Control the controllables, man. Well, that's that's a first, like, out of everyone that we've had on so far. You're the first to say, like, trimming your lanes, getting stuff prepped, and just everyone else is like, hunt the winds, don't forget yeah. your binos, different things like that. So that's good. I like that. So, yeah, and it's probably because I had I had that mentor that taught me, you know, pretty much all of his knowledge, and I didn't really talk about him, give him enough justice. But he, when he got me into bow hunting, um, he was my dad's buddy. You know, he's he's the guy that's got all the deer in his basement, right? He spent several days with me, just unloading his knowledge onto me about hunting, and and he's one of those guys that like. You know, that's, those are the kind of hunters that, that we need, you know, guys that are just willing to share and teach and be mentors. And uh, he just dumped all of that on me, you know, from wind to scent to all of that stuff. So I feel like he set the foundation for me early on in my career, in my career, in my hunting, you know, life or whatever. But um, so, I mean, that, that helped a ton, just getting all that knowledge right up front. Yeah, and I and I think that's like something that the youth now are lacking is having that. Yeah, good strong mentorship. That strong up in it. Yeah. Heck yes, I think that is something that's lacking, and that's why the hunt hunting, like population of hunters in Michigan is going down, is because we don't have enough guys stepping up to the plate and taking kids under their wing and saying, "Hey, this is the ethical way to do it." Whether you're shooting a hundred forty inch deer and you're super happy about it, or you're shooting a hundred inch Michigan buck. I mean, we all grew up doing that. So, you know, if it, my nephews and nieces have all killed, not, they're not giant deer, but being there and seeing how proud somebody is of that and how much time they put in and there's, it's more than just hunting. You're teaching them so much more. And I think we need more, more people like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. So, well, John is always, man, uh, I mean, I can say it time and time again, but you're one of the biggest reasons. I mean, I shot my first buck out at, out at the farm, and um, big reason why I'm into it today. And I'm, it's a disease now. It's like something you can't shake, you know. Um, but uh, big, big reason why I'm the hunter I am today, which unfortunately for you isn't that great. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, we appreciate having you on, man. It's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for the invite. Glad to share. Yeah, Jake, got a lot of good memories with you, and uh, that's that's what I that's what I love about hunting is is the memories and the camaraderie and just having those relationships with other hunters. So that's what I love the most about it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, sure. John. Appreciate it, man. Thanks again, John, for coming on. Jake and I enjoyed our conversation. It's always good to hear from uh, kind of the other side. You're a very conservative hunter, and it's it's good for me to hear that because obviously you're, you've been very successful in Michigan, and I haven't, and I push into bedding areas, I think, too often. Um, and then I'm working on toning that back. So it's good to hear that you're having success, just kind of sitting back and going in at the right moments, and it's good talking to guys like that and just kind of hearing your strategy. So we appreciated having you on. As always, guys, if you're interested, get over to riskyoutdoors.com. Send us a little message if you're interested in coming on and chatting with us about your success here in the great state of Michigan. So we would love to chat with you guys. As always, stay stealthy and strive to become an Imrod.